to give you an example, in India, for example, when I came here, I said, hey, there's already a couple of established players here. Let me do something different, right? And for me, the something different was we started focusing on tier two cities. None of these guys went tier two cities. So we went after tier two and even tier three cities, uh, got a lot of clients, they got a lot of transporters there. So that, in a sense, created what I call a blue ocean, right? Where there's less competition and, you know, stayed away from the red ocean where there was uh, established players. So, so you got to think really hard. I mean, it's not an easy answer, but uh, you really got to think hard on where can I create pockets of expertise or service where the big guys are not servicing. Hello everyone, my name is Neil Patel and that is my special guest, Madassa Mohammed, co-founder and COO of EasyHole. EasyHole is a logistics tech startup based in India, Singapore, Malaysia and Thailand. They're on a big mission to transfer transportation logistics. So in this episode, he talks about how they validated the MVP by talking to experts and truck drivers. Talks about being very close to going bankrupt, but are now growing 300% in two years with 180 million in revenue. Talks about how they digitized the trucking process. Talks about how they use data, dashboards, analytics, APIs to improve decision making. Talks about two reasons why startups fail. Talks about why three is the magic number in founding a startup. Uh, it talks about what to look for in a co-founder and the qualities you need to be a chief operating officer. And finally, he talks about whether you, yes you, the listeners, should pursue entrepreneurship or stay in your 9-to-5 job. I wish you much more, so please enjoy the show. Thank you. Hello, Madassa. Uh, thank you for coming on the Indian Startup Show. Thank you, Neil. Pleasure to be with you. Awesome stuff. Uh, please tell us what you're building. Sure. So we, we are building Easy Hall. Uh, Easy Hall is South Asia's leading uh, B2B road freight platform. Yep. What we do is essentially connect shippers, uh, any large company like a Coca-Cola or Amazon that needs a truck. We connect them with transporters uh, who have the capacity and want to take loads uh, to increase their uh, utilization. Um, in addition to the, doing the connection, we also take ownership of the cargo from the pickup to delivery. So we take care of everything from A to Z to the cargo is delivered, uh, we get the proof of delivery, um, and um, yeah, and we provide various other value and, uh, adds to our uh, clients. Mm-hmm. And how did you come up with the idea? What was the light bulb moment? Yeah, look, me and my partner, Raymond, we both were in the U.S. Uh, for a long time working in logistics. Mm-hmm. And back in the U.S., um, uh, there were these manual uh, load boards where the brokers would put up literally write on a blackboard, okay, these are the shippers and the trucks and these are the transporters who are available. And they would manually start matching them, right? This is back in 2014, 2015 when we were there. And at the same time, Neil, as you know, the Uber uh, Uberization of the world took off, right? Yeah. So we saw an opportunity where, hey, there is a need to match demand and supply and they're Uber-like models. So, But we didn't see too many Uber-like models in the logistics industry. Uh, and, and then we moved to Southeast Asia. So I was uh, fast forward two years later in 2016. Uh, Raymond and I were both in Southeast Asia. I was uh, a managing director for a company called UTI Worldwide in Singapore. And Raymond was the managing director in Vietnam. Uh, and we got together and said, like, hey, um, you know, uh, we both about to lose our jobs. There was an m happening and uh, this company was taking over the company we were working for. And we said, <laughs> all right, instead of looking for a new job, why don't we uh, try a hand at entrepreneurship and let's revisit that idea 
we had of uh, connecting demand and supply uh, using modern technologies, right? Yeah. So that was the genesis. Uh, we've been in logistics. We saw an opportunity and uh, yeah, we said, okay, in Southeast Asia, there is no startup in the space or maybe there was just one or two. Uh, mm-hmm. We saw an opportunity and started in Singapore in 2016. Awesome. So sounds exciting that. Um, so what did the first MVP look like? Uh, talk about that and um, the insights. That you gained. Yeah, look, I, I think it's important to validate your idea with the experts, right? Especially in a B2B uh, mm. environment. So we spoke to uh, quite a few, uh, you know, uh, senior executives in the industry and took the ideas on what the platform should look like. Mm. Uh, the first thing was the ease for the driver to use the app, right? So you got to imagine that uh, transport, uh, a driver who drives a truck, especially in Southeast Asia and India, he's probably not the most educated guy, right? So we had to design the app uh, in such a way that it was easy for him to follow. Uh, and similarly, on the shipper side, when they were making a booking, uh, we also had to make it very easy for them, right? I mean, we don't want to come to some platform that, uh, you know, gives them double the time. So, you know, we allow them to make a booking online. They, we could do API integrations with them, so we get the data automatically with them. So, yeah, we listen to the experts on the field and build the tech ground up. Um, you know, um, of course, the first uh, MVP was quite basic. Uh, we probably just had pickup and delivery. Uh, but over time, we've added various features like multi drop multi-pickup, uh, barcode scanning, uh, you know, uh, ordered a ton of other features over time. But but the important thing is get started, right? Just, just start. I mean, you cannot perfect it from day one. Mm. Uh, do something basic, get started. And then when you get started, you learn from your clients and your windows on how you can improve. How, how did you then go about validating that MVP? Uh, w- well, the validation happens on the scale of growth, right? Mm. I mean, if you're not growing, I think that goes back to probably your MVP um, not finding product market fit. So, um, you know, especially at that time, there's the constant part of sitting with your clients. Um, you know, back then I, I was on the road with truck drivers uh, across Malaysia, mm. uh, you know, showing them how the app works along with my colleagues, uh, getting their feedback and uh, continuously improving, right? And, mm. you know, slowly but surely our numbers did go up and that in itself was an validation that we are heading the right direction. Mm. What was that like uh, on, the, on the road with the truck drivers? Uh, it was beautiful. I mean, it, uh, I mean, that's the reason you do a startup, right? I mean, uh, you get off your uh, golden perch and get down to the ground and, uh, you know, roll your <laughs> sleeves up and, you know, sit with them. And uh, and, and look, I, I come from India and I'm from a middle class family. So, uh, I mean, I was used to that life in any case, right? Just working with uh, people across the country and, uh, you know. Uh, so, yeah, I was very comfortable doing that. And uh, But in my team that we hired, of course, you guys, uh, they were very supportive and kind of living that life and, uh, you know, just being on the ground uh, rather than sitting in a swanky office, um, you know, in a uh, in a WeWork <laughs> office with all the perks. Uh, that, that wasn't us. Uh, us was on a roadside somewhere in Malaysia. Get, 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 get your hands dirty, as they say. Absolutely. What, what, what questions do they ask you then? Uh, so, look, we, we have uh, two parties in this transaction, right? So there's a transporter who is yeah. providing the truck. Uh, for him, the important thing is like, hey, uh, when will I get paid? Uh, how will I get paid and how will this improve my life, right? And, and we had answers to all of these problems, right? First of all, these guys typically get paid much later. Let's say they move a truck from A to B, their client would pay them after like 15, 20, 30 days, right? And there would be a lot of uh, back and forth in setting the payment because of the lack of data and lack of visibility on the shipment. But with us, given that we have visibility on barriers, uh, he submits the proof of delivery and we pay him instantly, right? Mm-hmm. So that really solved one problem of his. The secondly was just the transparency 
see, like I said, because it's a di- digital trail on the shipments, we know exactly when he started, when he stopped. So if there's any overtime charges, uh, all of that is validated easily, right? With freedom, right? I mean, these guys are not dedicated to us. They can drive for us and also have their other business. So we essentially became an additional marketing channel for them, right? We would bring them business and they're more than happy to take it. So that kind of answered all of those, um, you know, value propositions for them. Uh, on the shipper side, so the shipper, like I said, is a large company like, let's say, Coca-Cola. For them, the question was like, hey, will it be as easy to book a truck? The answer was yes. We said you can send us the orders in multiple ways. Uh, we said we have a dedicated back-end customer service team. You can call 24-7 and we're there for you, which, by the way, is a real luxury in the transport uh, industry. You might think that's a very basic thing, but uh, trust me, transport is still stuck uh, 30 years behind. <laughs> now, that's why companies like us have flourished, I guess. And, and the third question for them was, how else can you help us? And we said, we not only provide your truck, but we will provide you various analytics and dashboards that can you know, make you, uh, help you make informed decisions for your business. Now, all of this was not offered by your normal transporter, right? And back in the day, if you just get your transporter, all you do is move your truck from A to B. I mean, forget about him picking up your phone, forget about getting reports and analytics. Uh, so basically, we took an industry that was still stuck back in the age and kind of, uh, you know, brought it into the technology age. But why, why, is it, why was it still stuck in the old, old age then? Yeah, look, I, I think, um, you know, um, similar to banking, a lot of the systems and transport uh, were quite outdated. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, uh, I, I don't know about the U.S. It's probably a different market, but at least in Southeast Asia, India. You also look at the driver community, like I go, like my earlier comment, they are probably not in the upper rungs of society, right? So these guys are typically uh, low-wage earners, which also ties to their education and uh, which also ties then to their ability to adopt to technologies, right? Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, of course, if you're in an investment bank, then, uh, yeah, or you're in a Google, you're obviously highly, highly educated and you adapt to technologies. So just the uh, people in the uh, we were working with, you know, probably not, um, um, uh, you know, observant with such uh, technologies. And then over time, of course, it's happening now with companies like us. What went wrong in the early days then? Um yeah, look, I, I, I think there, there are a few things we can think back on, right? First of all, um, you know, on the shipper side, uh, initially the growth the growth was quite slow. So we, we thought, okay, we start from day one. You know, you're very optimistic as an entrepreneur. You expect like, okay, I'm going to get like 100 bookings the next day. But the first three months, it was quite slow, right? And I think um, kind of didn't take into account the resistance to change because you've got to think that, imagine that these guys are so used to picking up the phone and calling their transporter, right? Hey, give me a truck. And just bringing that change about why they should use us and helping them understand uh, the value proposition uh, that, that just uh, t- took a bit of time right so I, I think in initial for six months we probably uh, didn't grow as fast as we thought uh, we would and that then has knock-on effects right because then you question yourself you question hey how much money do I have how much do I need to raise mm-hmm. how much life do I have left you you question a lot of things right I mean as an entrepreneur you you look through that fear uh, especially mm-hmm. in the start um, 
so that, that that was that and and um, of course finding good people is always tricky uh, uh, especially attracting people to come work in trucking right i mean mm-hmm. if you tell somebody come work in high tech or investment banking i'm sure you'll get a thousand resumes uh, but uh, trucking like i said in our parts of the world um, it, it's not the quote unquote sexiest industry right mm-hmm. so yeah we probably would get less resumes compared to other startups but again over time that has changed tremendously and now uh, logistics i feel is probably the hottest industry to be in uh, globally mm. we, we ever close to giving it up or running out of money I, I wouldn't say uh, giving up, but, uh, you know, there were some hairy moments. Like, for example, yeah. uh, before we raised uh, Series A, we were probably a week away from going bankrupt. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> and when I say bankrupt, I, I mean personally and professionally, right? Because ah. we uh, initially bootstrapped the company and put in all our savings. So, uh, but, but we lived through those times, right? And now when we look back where we are today, you appreciate those moments more, right? Like, hey, I went through that. And, and you, you have to right i mean if you want to be a startup uh founder and entrepreneur uh, you really need to have a uh, have the tenacity to kind of uh, live through those days so I, I i wouldn't say we questioned the model but it's just that it got a little hairy in the early days in terms of how much cash we had on hand and kind of balancing everything around it what was the specific breakthrough moment then uh, yeah look uh, we are first um, uh, we got a pretty large uh, client uh, one of the largest uh, 3pl companies um, in the world so they, they became a client Right, and I, I, I think it's critical uh, to get that really big account, especially in a B two B startup. Uh, that kind of, uh, you know, you get a snowball effect uh, after that, right? Like initially, we were talking to the, you know, small mom and pop uh, companies that, hey, I need one truck to move my, uh, you know, box of uh, shoes that I produce, right, or my uh, plastic buckets, whatever. So those are our initial set of clients. And then once we got this really large companies, and then using that, we could, you know, go to other companies and say, like, hey, uh, X is with us, you, you need to get onto this, mm. um, you know, curve, right, uh, in technology adoption. Uh, that's at the ball rolling. Uh, that was one. And, and also on the funding side, um, you know, uh, we got one early investor who was, again, a, a renowned guy in the industry uh, to come on board um, in a seed round. Uh, and, and he put in 500,000 US uh, just trusting us, right? At that point, like I said, we still had uh, little traction, but he came in and uh, invested in our company. Uh, Bobby Tan, shout out to him. He's the base in uh, mm. Indonesia and Singapore. Uh, so th- I, I think getting that trust uh, from him and a few other guys who invested at that point was critical for us to kind of say, okay, we can now breathe and you know run for another one year, try to grow the business. And then mm. once you grow, you have the numbers, the money comes, right? Uh, but you have to get to the point where you have enough, uh, enough stats to back up your story. I want to talk about the technology. You mentioned analytics. Um, yeah. How are you using all that to sort of grow the business? Can you, can you share some insights and examples yeah. of how you're using it? Or perhaps how you're using the data, perhaps? It's on uh, two fronts, right? First of all, if you think about how we get the data from our shippers in terms of the how many trucks they need. Uh, back in the day, that was just over a phone call or uh, email, right? Now we do full API integrations where you know, the client can have an SAP system or any system. Uh, so we integrate uh, with them and then we seamlessly get all of their booking data uh, you know, instantly. Mm-hmm. Once we have that data, then we need to plan 
the trucks for the next day, right? And that planning means that, okay, the client has this many kgs or this many metric cube of cargo. How many trucks do I need, right? And that mm. can be a manual calculation or an algorithm that does it. We have an algorithmic way of doing it, right? So our system would then process that data and say, okay, for this volume of cargo, we need seven trucks on this route. We need four trucks on this route. And is the truck size, et cetera, right? Mm. So uh, that's the optimization part. Once the optimization is done, we need to then send that information to our drivers who are going to come pick up the cargo, right? So that is then sent to the drivers on an app. The driver would see the route for the next day, the pickup to delivery. Uh, he also has additional features like barcode scanning, etc. take pictures of the proof of delivery. And, and all of that information is then relayed back to our client in real time through a reverse uh, feed, right? So this uh, value chain that I just described is a complete digitization of the trucking process, right? We've taken something that is completely manual and now something that's uh, completely um, automated. Then, then secondly, uh, we're also capturing all of this data on the back end, right? Mm-hmm. So we have a couple of smart data scientists who then, especially for our large accounts, are able to process this data and give various analytics to our clients and say like, hey, on this particular route, your tr- our trucks are stopping three hours on an average per day. Uh, maybe you have a bottleneck in this warehouse, right? You've yeah. you got to look at it. Or, yeah. uh, hey, you're spending X dollars on a certain truck type. If you move to this truck type, you might save uh, 8% uh, annually. Mm. So uh, our, that, that's where our value comes in, right? Yeah. Anybody can provide a truck. What, what we do is provide a truck, try to do it seamlessly, and then provide you analytics uh, and data to kind of uh, make your business uh, run smoother. Now, uh, th- this is the perfect example I gave you, right? We also have the uh, not perfect examples where the clients are still extremely manually based, where they say, hey, I don't want any of that. You know, you just uh, help me with uh, getting a truck and, um, you know, I, I don't need to be bothered by anything else. And, and that's also mm-hmm. fine. We also have clients who say that, especially small traders, uh, SME companies, uh, and our value proposition there is to help them, uh, you know, move the cargo from A to B in the quickest possible way. Sounds very exciting in terms of the innovation, what's going on in the trucking trucking business. Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, and uh, like I said, uh, this industry is really being uh, hauled to the 21st century. Uh, uh, mm. That's where our name Easy Haul also comes from. It's a play <laughs> on uh, hauling and haulage, uh, etc. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, you started in 2014. Can, can, can you share some updated stats then? You know, how are things going in terms of traction? Sure. We, we started in 2016. Uh, 2016. 2016 was when we incorporated. Uh, look, uh, we've been lucky with growth. Uh, as of today, we are present in six countries, Neil. Uh, we are in Singapore, Malaysia, Thailand, Indonesia, Philippines, and India. Uh, I, I would say we are probably the only company in the space that's multinational. Uh, you know, if you look at mm-hmm. most companies, they are only China or only India or only Malaysia, for example, but we've been able to expand to six countries in five years, um, you know, which is something. Um, mm-hmm. Revenue this year, we're expecting about $180 million um, mm-hmm. in revenue. Uh, we've grown 300% uh, in the last uh, two years. What else? Seventy-five thousand trucks on the platform um, uh, across uh, across our uh, countries. And the part that we're most pr- proud of is that uh, you know we we've turned uh, profitable at an EBIT level, right? Mm-hmm. Um, most startups, as you know, <laughs> are loss making and burn cash, right? Yeah. Uh, but given the founders and our background of running businesses uh, sustainably, we said, look, we will not do business at a loss, right? Mm-hmm. We have to have some profit, and then the, that technology, uh, the internal technology, helps and kind of keeping the cost down and, you know, uh, we don't need to 
hire uh, 500 people to uh, you know handle 180 million dollar revenue, right? So we only have about uh, less than 200 people uh, operating uh, across the countries and handling this kind of revenue. And you can only do that if your processes uh, are solid. So um, you know more than achieving this 180 200 million dollar revenue uh, that we're hitting, uh, it's also the fact that we've done even profitable and um, you know we we want to continue growing that way. Great set of numbers there. So, so you nearly went bankrupt, and now you've got 180 million dollar revenue. What do you think about that? Well, well, it's uh, it's it's good to think about think back of those days, right? And <laughs> and, and when I say when I say bankrupt, it's just uh, get, the, the getting the funding. The first funding yeah. is difficult, right? I mean, people need to kind of uh, look at your trust numbers, etc. But once you have that, uh, then like I said, uh, getting the funding is easy part if you're hitting the numbers. Um, and, and look, those kind of instances kind of uh, keep you humble. We we do not get carried away with things like valuations, etc. There's enough examples of out there of companies that went to $50 billion and then went back to zero, right? Mm-hmm. So look, I mean, we'll continue building the startup, uh, you know, keep growing and, you know, don't forget our roots, where we come from, and you know, stay humble and uh, keep growing the business. But but it's good to have those experiences. And uh, yeah, if if I had a chance, I would do it all over again and look through those dark <laughs> days as well. <laughs> so you, you you wouldn't change anything then? I I, I wouldn't. I uh, honestly, I wouldn't. I mean, uh, of course, in hindsight, you could do a few things differently, but uh, that's the good joy of riding this wave of a startup right it's the mm. the highs are incredibly high and the lows are also incredibly low right so you ride those uh, wave of emotions and that's why i say you need to have a have a strong stomach to survive over a long time in a startup <laughs> but would, would you still consider yourself as a startup now because obviously you start with like probably, two or three prob- people now, now you've got 200 people now so probably not i i, I think that yeah. the, that word is kind of uh, probably misrepresents us where we are today with the scale and our coverage so yeah, let's say we are a developing uh, mature business. <laughs> oh, why, why, why do you think most startups do fail then? Even, even you know, the 15, 15 million ones do? Look, it's typically uh, uh, two things, right? Uh, number one, I would say is uh, uh, what is the service or product that you're offering and is there a real need for it, right? Number one. And number two, how much do you need to spend uh, in terms of resources or technology to bring that to a certain scale where, you know, then uh, and then make it profitable, right? So startups fail for two reasons. Number one, they, they just don't have product market fit, right? They brought a product to the market where nobody wants it, right? I mean, that's the most uh, simple example. Number two, they brought a product to the market. People want it, but people do not want to pay what you're looking for, right? Mm-hmm. So in this case, startups might succeed for three, four years get a high valuation, but at some point, you've got to start turning profitable, right? And, you know, having the business being sustainable. Uh, if that doesn't happen, then those startups can also die, although that uh, happens uh, in a more elongated time frame uh, than the first example. And, and in both examples, what's common is just the cash flow. Uh, I think mm-hmm. cash flow is the oxygen of any business. And it's not for startups, also, right? Any business, uh, whether you're running a a, a, a cafe in Paris or you're running a textile company in Gujarat or wherever, uh, you need to have one eye on how much money you have left in the bank relative to how much revenue your company is bringing in, relative to relative to how much you need to pay your staff and other operating expenses, right? So I think a lot of young entrepreneurs probably, um, maybe they need a bit of coaching and training and help on that, uh, probably get a good finance guy in the team to help, help them manage the cash flow. Um, so yeah, I, w- I would say it's one of these three things 
Jones, uh, Neil. And the common binding factor, which I'm sure you've heard a uh, hundred times, but is true, is the team behind the company, yeah. right? Uh, I mean, that, that goes without saying, uh, end of the day, it's the team that makes a company uh, succeed or fail. Um, yeah. What, what were the first impressions of your co-founders when you first met them then? Um, look, um, so I have two co-founders, Raymond and Nikki. Yeah. Uh, the good thing was uh, we were colleagues uh, before we started ah, right. um, uh, Easy Hard, right? So um, um, I, I was listening to a couple of your podcasts as preparation. Uh, you know, you had Varun and Edel Patel and those guys on. Mm. Um, you know, and, and I, I, I heard some of the startups, uh, the founders probably met the co-founders through a friend, uh, and and that's also fine. But uh, I, I think it's um, it's even better if you have some history with your co-founders. So Raymond, for example, was my boss at one point, uh, and Nikki was also working in the same company um, uh, we were working on. So uh, we, we had history. Uh, and then, mm. what do you look for uh, in a co-founder? You look for uh, intellect. Uh, you have to trust them. Uh, if not, it's never going to succeed. Uh, and the trust goes both ways, right? And they have some intellect, uh, hopefully. Um, and, and then you come together and create a plan around how you want to take the business off, right? So, yeah. And, and I think, uh, again, most startup founders would tell you that that the founding team is just so critical in in the future success, right? So be very careful uh, uh, who you're founding the company with. I mean, uh, I, I tell Raymond and Nikki sometimes that I probably hear and speak to them more often than I speak to my wife. But uh, that, that's the that's the life you live, and that's why you got to pick your co-founders very carefully. Well, that sounds like a marriage, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> but but at the start, how did you go about defining the roles? Obviously, you got sales, marketing, tech, uh, HR, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, great question. So look, uh, and that's why you need, uh, 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 the advice I give to people is that try to have three co-founders in the team, right? I personally feel three is a good number. I mean, one is very tough, right? I, I really feel that a one-person company, uh, the chances of success are low. Uh, of course, you have crazy people like Elon Musk, but he's Elon Musk. Mm. But uh, for the normal human being, uh, you cannot do it. Uh, you cannot do everything by yourself. So uh, we were three guys. So I took responsibility of uh, operations, uh, setting up the carrier side, getting carriers on board, um, you know, setting up the operations processes, etc. cetera. Uh, Raymond took charge of technology and finance. Uh, and like I told you earlier how important the finance piece was. And uh, Nikki took, uh, took care of the sales part, right? Mm-hmm. So in a B2B company, those are your four major functions, right? You have operations, mm-hmm. finance, uh, sales, and technology. So we split those four among the three of us. <clears throat> but having said that, uh, you know, as a startup, as a young startup, everybody does everything. <clears throat> so, of course, I would also do sales, and then I also would yeah. recruit, which comes into the HR territory, and others would do it too. But at a high level, that's how we split it, and then, uh, you know, uh, and then slowly but surely, uh, you hire other people to kind of take on more uh, specialist mm-hmm. roles. Because I, I speak to a lot of CEOs, but you're the, you know, the CEO of Chief Operating Officer. It's a role that, you know, pretty much goes under the radar, because it's very internal, I suppose. Um, how, how do you find that role as a COO? You know, what, 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 what kind of experience or what kind of strategies do you need to be a COO? Yeah, but look, look, and if you look at the JD of a COO, it's it's very broad. I, I don't think you will find yeah. a standard definition. Uh, mm-hmm. The way I look at it is uh, basically you're a lieutenant to the CEO, right? Uh, which mm-hmm. is Raymond in our case. I mean, you have to be uh, you have to be there for everything, right? Whether it's yeah. uh, sales or operations or finance, investor relations. So uh, at least in the initial days, Raymond and I uh, were 
were doing a lot of the external stuff on the investor side. Uh, Nikki was focusing on sales, for example. Uh, you know, and then within that, uh, the, the function of a CEO can be broad, right? Some CEOs, you know, get into legal, they get into, uh, you know, some sometimes they get into systems, uh, processes, technology, all of that. In, in our company, uh, like I said, my focus was on uh, initially setting up the operations uh, mm-hmm. processes, getting the correct carriers on board. As we've matured as a company and I'm now based in India, I am de facto the CEO of India, right? Because I take care mm-hmm. of everything in India, right? From sales to operations to, uh, you know, uh, HR, um, er- everything under the sun. And, and India is our largest market. It's about 60% mm-hmm. of our revenue. So yeah, I, I think the definition is quite broad and it really depends on you and your partner kind of defining it and having your responsibilities. Who's helped you on your journey then? Like I said, the, the few people that come to mind is, of course, the, the first dude who put in 500,000 uh, when we didn't have much, mm. right? I mean, you, you need that kind of trust and backing to launch a startup uh, that's going to go big, I think, without um, uh, without, without that, uh, it, it would have been really difficult. And, and then when I was in the US, uh, I spent about 12 years there studying and working. You know, um, there was somebody in my family who's uh, who's also been an entrepreneur. And, and then uh, that kind of also was inspiration to me, right? I mean, uh, he would, I would see him and how hard he worked and uh, you know the advice he gave me uh, that continues to be an inspiration and then thirdly my family was in business back in the day right small business but it was a business and you will find that a lot of kids who grew up in a business family they want to become entrepreneurs in the future right because they've seen a taste of what that life is the good and the bad so uh, so yeah I think those few things uh, kind of festered in and then of course like I said you have a, you have to have an incredible uh, support system uh, you know my wife mother everybody especially the days where like i told you you're running out of cash and you don't know what the future holds you need somebody to say hey it's okay it doesn't matter right we'll just start from zero and go again so <laughs> that that's incredibly important as well to have some sanity in terms of the business though, like e-commerce must be huge for you it must, must be amazing for your, your industry in as in, in general really i suppose yeah, look, I, I think e-commerce has been a big contributing factor into why logistics uh, startups are getting so much traction in the last few years and will continue to do so over the next uh, several years, right? I mean, just the, the compounded growth of e-commerce, in, especially in big countries like India, China, mm-hmm. US, uh, Europe, uh, it's led to logistics companies uh, like ourselves, right? Where you need efficiency, you need clarity, you need data, you need analytics. So they really have been at the forefront uh, of this uh, of this wave and, and, I, and I think we're just getting started right we, we still mm. uh, the, the growth in the future uh, you know about 6 billion people in the world half of them have still not come online so you can imagine once that half comes online uh, there's going to be more products procured more movements more trade more commerce more trucks right so I, mm. I, I think uh, any company that's in the logistics space and not only us but any company in the logistics space uh, it is the right industry to be in uh, over the next uh, couple of decades yeah, it sounds exciting to me. What can go wrong then? Because obviously, you know, you're, you're the major players now, right? Look, I, I think you have to, as a startup uh, or rather as a maturing company, uh, mm. growth is paramount, right? So you yeah. cannot stop growing, uh, number one. Uh, number two, you need to have one eye on the future so a lot of time uh, as a a company founder is yes you spend it in the present in taking care of your sales and operations and finance and whatnot but but you have to have an eye on what are the trends and what else is happening right Um, and you have to try to catch up I mean if you don't then tomorrow there's going to be a new startup that's going to come and disrupt us and 
leave us behind. And, and hence, I told you earlier that you, you just cannot take uh, success for granted, right? Or be like, hey, we had 180 million, all right, let me rest now. Uh, there, there is no rest, right? So mm-hmm. you, you got to keep growing. You got to grow sustainably. And, and of course, you've got to uh, keep an eye on uh, on uh, competition and what are the trends out there and keep adapting to, to what the client needs. If you, if you decay there in terms of not having an offering that client needs, then there will be other companies that come, take your place, and you will slowly die. So talk, talk about how you set up the Indian market then, because uh, obviously you set up in Singapore and other countries. Did, did you use like the same playbook that you used in those countries? In some ways, yes. Look, we are a two-sided model, right? We have a demand and supply mm. side. So I, I think the golden rule in a two-sided model is you typically set up the supply first. And mm. supply side for us is transporters. You know, when 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 I came to India in 2018, uh, I still remember this picture of me and my first hire here, just an empty office and two computers, right? And that's what you start from. Uh, you know, if you're a successful company, when you enter a new country, you're still starting from zero, right? So what we did was we, we created a strategy where we said, okay, let's focus on two, uh, two cities only, right? And for us, it was Bangalore and Delhi. And mm-hmm. we said, let's sign up transporters just in these two cities. And mm-hmm. the reason I chose these two cities was, um, you know, uh, Delhi's in the north, Bangalore's in the south. I, I thought, okay, we can then start doing long intercity trucking between these two cities, right? So we have yeah. a truck going from A to B, and then he can go back from uh, B to A, right? So I, I think the key to startup is, first of all, uh, have focus uh, on one side of the uh, model. And for us, it was the supply side, explaining to transporters on why they should sign up with us, what is the value proposition to them, uh, you know, creating um, uh, a use case for that. And then once you have that, you then go to your demand and, you know, try to sign up uh, sign up uh, your shippers. The advantage we had was that we were already working with some large corporations like Coca-Cola, etc. in Malaysia. So we could then get references to the India team, right? So that certainly helped us where we said, if you walk in cold, it's tougher to get a business. But if you tell them like, hey, we already work with you in a different country, they would at least have a chat with you. So, um, and it grows from there, right? I mean, we first started with 20 trucks and then by the third month we had 100 trucks, uh, you know, and you slowly scale that up over time. And then in parallel, you also scale up your team over time. I mean, it's not like you enter here and in the first month you have 100 people. Uh, we, we only had five people. Then by the sixth month we had 30 people and so on, right? So your growth as a team has to pace with your growth as a business, right? If you don't, then again, you still run into the issues of cash flow and spending spending too much, et cetera. So yeah, to answer your question, uh, you know, have a specific plan that we will start in this geography in this city, focus on what's going to make you successful and what is critical for us. The critical part was we needed to get enough transporters on the platform and then, you know, start slowly making incremental uh, improvements uh, from there. And today, two and a half years fast forward, we are present in almost 26 states in India, all across uh, all of India. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, like I said, about 60% of our, this $180 million comes from the Indian market. So you got more than two computers now? We do. <laughs> we can finally afford it. <laughs> However, having said that, we don't take pride in hiring too many people. I, I think that's also a sign that you're not uh, growing sustainably, right? So we actually take pride in when we say like, hey, we haven't hired too many people uh, relative to our increase in business. So that, that, that's also important. What, what is your hiring process? And do you, do you got for, um, you know, high achievers or people who are specialists or all-rounders? 
Well, look, it uh, d- depends on the role. A couple of things mm. that I try to look for is um, a- analytical skills. How do you test that? I mean, they either have an engineering background or they've, or they've done something in their previous work that shows that they have an analytical bent of mind, right? Uh, we would also sometimes give them some data sets to kind of analyze and, you know, come back with some analysis on what they think of a large data set. So those things can be uh, e- easily tested, right? Uh, and, and it's important to have an analytical skills because we're working with uh, data and volume all the time, right? Uh, so it's good to have somebody who can kind of make sense of the madness, right? And the analytical skills help. Uh, second thing that I try to look for is have we done something entrepreneurial, right? And what I mean by that is not necessarily started a company. Uh, they could have been working in a large corporation, but what did you do in that company that nobody else did, right? Did you go up to your boss and suggested, hey, I want to do this project. I think it's going to make us more money or I want to do this project because it's going to shave 5% of our cost, right? So I, I'm looking for those kind of examples where somebody's taken the initiative on their own and uh, executed a project, right? So that's what I mean by having entrepreneurial mindset. And then, of course, if they built their own company, that's fantastic, right? That's the uh, best uh, option. But in the absence of that, uh, we look at uh, entrepreneurial initiatives that, that that may have taken. And, and then, of course, then there's the functional expertise, right? If you have tech, of course, you've got to probably be good in coding. If you're in finance, you've got to be good with uh, P&L, et cetera, et cetera, right? But, you know, uh, yeah, being analytical, being entrepreneurial, and uh, just from being a good team player, I guess, is, uh, is something that that I look for. Because obviously you have a lot of listeners who are, you know, probably working at a global company and are thinking about pursuing entrepreneurship. Obviously, you, you know, you left your job, unfortunately, and then you decided to do entrepreneurship. But, but sort of how do you decide whether to p- pursue entrepreneurship or stay at your career at a global company? Uh, yeah, look, I, I, uh, I mean, uh, the, what I tell others is either option is absolutely fine, right? I mean, if mm. you're in a large company and you're doing well and you're happy, hey, do that, right? I mean, it's not, you don't have to become an entrepreneur first of all, but if you do, I can tell you it's, it's the most rewarding experience you will, um, you will ever have, right? Now, uh, the, the answer on why and how you should do it, uh, like I said, depends on your conviction on three things. Number one, what is the idea, right? And uh, what has the idea, have you validated the idea at least with a few experts in that industry? And, and I don't mean asking your mom or your wife about it because they will try to encourage you. But, uh, you know, especially in a B2B industry, you know, talk to people in that industry and say what they think about the idea, right? People you trust and get uh, honest feedback. Uh, I think that's one uh, test uh, for that. Number two, like I said, do you have people to do this business with? If you're going to do it alone, hey, that's going to be a really rough ride. But if you have a couple of people who are also keen on this idea, that's a second uh, checklist for me, right? And thirdly, I think they need to assess what is their financial health at that point in their life. And I say that because if you form a company uh, like we did, you've got to forget about drawing a salary for a year or two, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you cannot you know, form a company and then draw money out of it from day one. It, that just doesn't make sense. Uh, every dollar is important and every dollar should go towards growth. So can you forego an income for a year? for example. So I think that's a personal decision people need to make that are, are they comfortable doing that, right? So in, in my view, if your answer to those three points is yes, then hey, go for it. Uh, you know, uh, you will either uh, you will either succeed or you will learn one of them. Last few questions then. Uh, what are you working on right now then? For us, it's all about um, uh, expansion. I mean, we reach a stage where, you know, like, okay, we're five years out. We are uh, mm. in, in six countries. Uh, what's next? We, we still are not in some of the larger markets, right? I mean, there's the whole, uh, there's China, there's, um, you know, more countries in Southeast Asia, there's also Australia. 
So uh, we're always looking to uh, expand internationally. Uh, number two, continue growing in our existing markets. Like I said, if we stop growing, then uh, the business uh, will will die <laughs> over a period of time. And, and number three, uh, in in my personal view, uh, it'll be great to go public, right? In a couple of years, mm-hmm. uh, two to three years. I think, I think that's our goal. At least uh, the founders share is that you know we want to be there, standing in a stock exchange and taking this company public, right? Uh, but to get to that point, I mean, you obviously need to mature as a business very mature processes, et cetera. Uh, so I, I think that's, that's probably a goal, uh, you know, take care of existing markets, identify new uh, markets to enter. Uh, and number three, work towards, um, you know, a larger goal of, um, you know, uh, perhaps going public someday. Is there any sort of books or blogs or perhaps YouTube videos that you want to recommend to our listeners that have helped you in your business? Anyone's um, helped? Yeah, look, uh, I mean, in terms of podcasts, um, I, I, I listen to A to Z, that's Andreessen Horowitz. Mm-hmm. Um, they're a VC, but, uh, you know, they have a bunch of good um, uh, shows on, you know, how to deal with problems, um, uh, et cetera. In terms of books, uh, there's a couple that come to mind. Uh, you know, I really loved uh, Shoe Dog. Uh, the founder of Nike, oh, yeah. um, incredible book. Uh, there's another book called High Output Management uh, by Andy Grove. Um, uh, he was the founder of Intel, and a lot of startup founders uh, rave, uh, rave, rave about that book. And I was like, okay, I got to read read it. And then when I read it, I was like, okay, this is like a management manual in 200 pages, right? Everything from how to hire, how to think about expanding, everything, right? So the, 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 that's that's a fantastic, um, a fantastic book as well. And then in terms of fiction, uh, I, I don't read too much fiction, but uh, back in the day, I think Ayn Rand's The Fountainhead really had an impact on me. Uh, I read it when I was 21, and yeah, there was something about that character, Howard Rock, that kind of instilled this feeling of taking a stand, being principled, um, you know, going for your goals, etc. So I, I think those are a few books that uh, come to my mind. I, I also listen to uh, Jim Cramer's podcast, uh, mm-hmm. there's Mad Money, and then he does another show on CNBC. Uh, that's good uh, kind of to keep abreast of the macroeconomic uh, conditions in the world. He has, he has a lot of CEOs on his shows, so that, that, that also gives you a good, um, a good perspective. Chamath, uh, I follow him on Twitter. Um, Chamath is again a VC uh, based in the US, uh, ex Facebook, uh, brilliant guy, uh, a lot of good insights. What, what advice would you give to our like first time founders then? What, what, what should they be focusing on? Yeah, I, I think it's just those three things I said, right? Uh, number yeah. one, uh, your product, uh, your idea, get it validated, right? Talk to a few experts, you know, who know that, who know that industry. Uh, don't do it alone. It's very tough to succeed uh, alone. Try to get, uh, a t- in my view, a three is a perfect number. And, uh, you know, have somebody who's good, who's good in finance too, who can keep an eye on your cash flow, right? Because cash flow is so important uh, for your business. And lastly, be extremely tenacious, right? I mean, this is not a journey that's easy, but uh, like every founder says, uh, you don't really fail uh, being a founder, right? I mean, there's so much to learn. Uh, you, you either make money out of it or you make experience uh, and memories that will last you a lifetime out of it, right? Right. Uh, that's what I would say. But what about those startups who are in an industry where it's people with lots of money, lots of credibility, lots of staff, you know, the big boys? For example, when you started, you must have been against established industry players, right? How, how did you overcome those odds, as it were? Yeah, look, I, I think you've got to understand how big your industry is. For example, yeah. the trucking industry in India is about $180 billion, right? And no player has greater than a 
1% market share. Right, so right. yes, they, they, they could be big players in that industry, but you got to assess if is that industry fully served or um, is, the, is there a way to uh, get in? I mean, if you take, so if you want to create a startup in social media, for example, I mean, you know, Facebook is there, there's Twitter, et cetera, mm-hmm. right? So, uh, I mean, it's going to take a lot for you to overcome those kind of startups, but perhaps you can do something more specialized that, that's not uh, that's not being catered for. But, but in, in terms of other industries, uh, I think the pie is big enough where, you know, there's a couple of big shocks and there are in almost every industry. I think mm-hmm. you can still create a space for yourself given how big that industry is and maybe there are markets that haven't been served or there's client segments that that haven't been served, right? To give you an example, in India, for example, when I came here, I said, hey, there's already a couple of established players here. Let me do something different, right? And for me, the something different was we started focusing on tier two cities. None of these guys went tier two cities. So we went after tier two and even tier three cities, uh, got a lot of clients, they got a lot of transporters there. So that, in a sense, created what I call a blue ocean, right? Where there's less competition and, you know, stayed away from the red ocean where there was uh, established players. So so you got to think really hard. I mean, it's not an easy answer, but uh, you really got to think hard on where can I create pockets of expertise or service where the big guys are not servicing um, and, and try to identify those and go after that. Has is is anything surprised you about your entrepreneurial journey so far? Uh, let me see. In, in terms of surprises, um, I, I, I guess it just everybody probably underestimates the emotional side of things. Um, mm-hmm. uh, obviously, there's a lot of focus on me- mental health nowadays, and and that's true, right? Uh, like like I say, uh, it, reality will hit you as an entrepreneur at some point where uh, you know you feel like, hey, you're running out of money, or you're not getting any clients, or you have people who have quit, and uh, you know. So so I guess, and I've known people who probably haven't dealt with that part uh, as well as some other people, right? And that's what we've been kind of lucky to uh, not go through uh, very hard times, but there's a lot of people who have, right? So I, I would say you just have to take care of that and have a really good support system uh, around you uh, and do not underestimate uh, the mental fortitude and mental strength you need to kind of uh, see you through a, a long period of time. Right, last question for people who want more information on Easy Hall. Uh, what must they do? Please go to www.easyhall.com. Uh, you can also find us on LinkedIn, on Facebook. You know, we'd love to hear your thoughts. Um, uh, if you're in India or Southeast Asia, please uh, write to me. If there's any way we can help you, either you know, sign you up as a transporter or help you move your cargo in a more efficient and digital way, uh, we'll be more than happy to uh, talk to you. What's the weirdest thing you've transported then? Funny, we, we, we once uh, transported uh, fruit in, in, uh, in, uh, in Malaysia and uh, it, I think it was like avocados or something and it just went bad in route, right? It was really hot in the summer. When our staff was there at the unloading point, the client refused to unload it, and they said there's probably some dead animal or something in there. But it, it was just it it had become so bad uh, the fruit. Yeah, we had to like kind of fumigate the truck and all of that, and uh, you know uh, get the experts into to um, unload it. Um, and and then uh, it, it's not uh, the other example I can think of is it's not so much what we transported, but in our early days, you need to load the truck right when and in the client's warehouse the truck the truck needs to be loaded, and that's typically done by the client's warehouse staff. That day, for some reason, the warehouse staff didn't show up. So um, two of my colleagues, uh, you know, these young boys, uh, when they rolled up their sleeves and they loaded the entire truck uh, with the bare hands themselves, right? And I'm talking about a 40-foot truck. Uh, and, and of course, I went there uh, to kind of stand by them and help them out as well. Uh, I mean, it's those moments that kind of stay with you and, you know, and kind of the, the team that you build 
that buys into that philosophy that we will get this done at all cost, <laughs> right? <laughs> so uh, that, that was a really example, good example I, I just thought of. Awesome. Uh, Melissa, uh, thank you for coming on the Indian Startup Show today. Uh, much appreciated. I really appreciate your time, Neil. Awesome stuff. I wish you all the best. Thanks to Madassa for coming on the show today. I really appreciate it. So check out easyhold.com for more information. Thanks for supporting the podcast and I shall be back next week. And if you're building something exciting, please do get in touch and let's connect on Twitter at Indian Startup SH. If you're on Facebook, go to facebook.com forward slash Indian Startup Show. Love to connect. Thank you and goodbye.